Welcome to the Comical Heathen Podcast. We're the most comicalist, heathenist, religious satirist podcast on the whole wide world internet that I know of. This is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. I'm the world's most highly educated stand-up comedian, and I am currently writing a book about religious satire, and that motivated me to start this podcast, which includes interviews with comedians and other interesting folk, as well as my thoughts on other issues and occasional co-hosts and occasional live Q&As. I've also developed a live show, which I was starting to take on the road at the end of 2019. You can do the math and figure out for yourself why I haven't done it uh, recently. It will be uh, back in the works as we slide through 2021. Anyway, welcome to today's show. I want to let you know that, as with most episodes of The Comical Heathen, we do have an interview today. This episode features my interview with Mike Kaplan. What a great and thoughtful guy. I do not know him personally. I just reached out to him because I love his comedy. And he had a new comedy album out in 2020 called AKA. Uh, highly recommended, hilarious uh, comedy album. A couple of months ago, we sat down and I interviewed him over Skype. And I'm going to be sharing with you the uh, highlights of that interview. I'd like to let you know that today's episode also has a co-host, my very good friend Jesse Pimpinella. We'll be talking to him in a few minutes. Uh, he's a comedian from the uh, Columbus area. We do a lot of shows together. He even hosted one of, the, one of the live shows of the Comical Heathen with me. He also does the action comedy nerd show with me and Dan Brown. We go to anime conventions and comic book conventions and do some uh, pop culture-oriented stand-up comedy. So I, I know him really well, and I'm excited to have him as my co-host today. Before we get any further into the adventure that is this episode, I would like to make a couple of announcements. First off, uh, here in Northeast Ohio, we're having the Rubber City Comedy Festival, May 5 through 8. Uh, headliners featured at the Funny Stop Comedy Club in Cuyahoga Falls and other comedy events throughout the area. Uh, I have uh, joined as a new member the uh, team that produces that comedy festival, so I'm just very excited to publicize it. I'll be around all those days. Uh, I'll be at shows, I'll be hosting shows, and uh, hopefully doing some more and more uh, work with the Rubber City Comedy Festival. But it's on this year, a live comedy, May 5 through 8, 2021. I'm going to have a live Q&A show. I've done a few of these before, so it'll be it'll go out live. Uh, we'd love to have you come along. Uh, watch for links and announcements on my Facebook page. And, you know, the main thrust of these Q&As is your questions. So please consider uh, forwarding some questions to me. You can always email the show at our email address, which is comicalheathen at gmail.com. You can also leave comments on Facebook or uh, Twitter. And just give me your comments, questions, topics, and we'll try to incorporate as much of what you're interested in into that live Q&A show, April 11th. And just to remind you, we are on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and please, you know, like, star, leave comments, forward, share, and, you know, we'll try to get this uh, podcast out to some more people. On January 30th, on an episode of Real Time with Bill Maher, Maher had a couple of guests on, some podcasters, sort of libertarian, former biology professors, and in that discussion he had with those guests, he strongly suggested the possibility that the coronavirus may have been man-made, going so far as to guesstimate the likelihood to be at least 50-50. Now, back when he made these, these statements and had these guests on, Marr did already get sort of pilloried in the press. So I'm not going to pile on to that. 
I'm actually a big Marr fan. I, I love Real Time. I think he's a very uh, hilarious comedian. What I want to say, though, is the thing that made my rabbit antenna ears go up was when he said, and this is what he said, that it's the likelihood to be at least 50-50. Now, the coronavirus being man-made is currently treated by most as a conspiracy theory, one linked to or started by Steve Bannon. So I had to shake my head when Mayor gave it some credence. But when he actually said the words 50-50, I knew I had to respond to this detail because he was making a common logical fallacy. And so I want to dig into that fallacy. Um, I want to talk about what the logical click was there. You know, it was so weird for me that Marr ignores science. When on so many other topics, he is very pro-science, often defending evolution. And he's had uh, Richard Dawkins on his show and other scientists, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye. The whole problem, you know, with so-called intelligent design is that in their ignorance, they see the natural world as designed, even though the science of, of evolution uh, and uh, geology and um, astrophysics and so on show that it is not designed. Well, all current data suggests that the virus has occurred naturally in, in nature, evolved. And now saying there's a 50-50 chance that was man-made makes you sound like some Bible Belt hick who claims fossils were put there by the devil to tempt man away from God. This here coronavirus was put here by the devil to scare you away from our maker and into the arms of lying scientist atheists. You know, Marr in his film Religious, which I love, and if you haven't seen it, I would stop listening to this podcast and go watch that film and finish the podcast later. In that documentary, it was sort of a travel log. He went around the world, and he made his sort of stated thesis in the film to spread doubt. He said, religion sells certainty, I'm selling doubt which made for the spine of a movie about religion, but works about as well with the scientific method as pineapple does on a pizza, also put here by the devil. And let me make sure to note that science is an ongoing project, so as new and better data emerges, we will understand the coronavirus better tomorrow than we do today. And in that context, it is conceivably possible that tomorrow evidence and research-based proof will emerge demonstrating that the coronavirus is man-made. But right now, today, literally thousands of scientists all over the world have been studying and are currently studying the virus, say that, there are, that there's no evidence, there's none of the indicators of human tampering in the virus or any other reason to believe it's man-made. It's the intellectual equivalent of a climate denier bringing a snowball to a debate. Now, back to Mars, an advocate for free speech who has previously had a show canceled over a joke and as a TV producer uh, who styles himself as a provocateur, Mayer has had other fringe figures on, including the 15 minutes of fame darling of Breitbart, Milo Yashashashashuka. I may have mispronounced that. Sorry, Milo. And that uh, goat milk cures AIDS quack, Samir Chachachachau. I may have mispronounced that. Sorry, Sammy. But just, you know, guess who's seen counter to the overall project of making America less dumb again. There's no way Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins would give a platform to these anti-intellectual clowns. I mean, it's one thing to have a token Republican punching bag, or maybe some really edgy comedian. But as Marr usually populates his show with actual scientists, journalists, political leaders, and also the occasional Hollywood nitwit there to sell something, appearances by such anti-intellectuals really stand out as odd and dumbs down the conversation. Anyway, I'm not here to be preoccupied with Marr so much. Let's get back to my main point, which is when he tossed out the phrase 50-50. When someone 
who doesn't know much about any given subject, rates possible options as about equal, that is what is called the argument from ignorance. If you and a friend come across a mysterious big-sized footprint in the forest and your friend says, Bigfoot, and then you say, there's no proof that Bigfoot even exists, and your friend's comeback is, Bigfoot's as good a guess as any, whoop, 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 danger, Will Robinson, your friend has just used the argument from ignorance. In my hypothetical here, the friend doesn't know enough about biology or any other related science to have an informed opinion about the likelihood of a forest full of undiscovered big feats. So he tries to make the argument that it's just as likely as anything else. Wrong! Thank you for playing, but that's not how evidence-based logic works. If you have a proposition, such as a big footprint was a Bigfoot foot, then you have to provide actual evidence. Without said evidence, the likelihood that a Bigfoot foot made that Bigfoot footprint is not 50-50, with other possible explanations. Like the children's board game says, sorry. But that is actually what Marr has done. Despite all reporting and evidence, and this has been fact-checked by PolitiFact among other many, many other places, despite all the reporting and evidence to date, being contrary to the conspiracy theory that the coronavirus is, was man-made, Marr's gut tells him it's just as likely as being naturally evolved. And thus, he used the tell 50-50, revealing this well-known fallacy. Listen to someone I know you respect more than me, Bill Maher, Carl Sagan, who once said, I try not to think with my gut. If I'm serious about understanding the world, thinking with anything besides my brain, as tempting as that might be, is likely to get me into trouble. Really, it's okay to reserve judgment until the evidence is in. Listen to Carl. Listen to the experts. Your gut is full of enzymes and proteins, some acids, some undigested fructose, but no synapses, my friend. Nary a synapse to be found. It's my pleasure to bring on uh, one of my very best comedy uh, friends and partners. We do a lot of shows together. He's hosted the live Comical Heathen show, and he performs all over Ohio and the Midwest. Please welcome to the show, Jesse Pimpinella. Hi, how's everyone doing? Thank you, Jerry, for having me on the show. This is, this is a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this all week. Well, I've been looking forward to seeing you as well, especially thanks to pandemic-related social isolation. It's just yes. good to see my friends. We're living in a weird space age now. I feel like right now I'm in like a, just this huge chair. I feel like I'm on the Enterprise just talking to somebody right now. This is pretty cool. It is pretty <laughs> cool. And also, we, uh, just before we started uh, recording, uh, we reminded each other that the last time we were live together in the same room was for the Comical Heathen Live show in Columbus, which yes. is good for me. Yes. No, that was a, that was, whoa, wow. That was like, yeah. I, I can't wrap my mind around it still. We're not the first people to say this, but... For years to come, people will have to refer to like life before the pandemic and life after. Like, hey, remember oh, yeah. the time we went to see that movie? Oh, when was that? You know, before the pandemic. Every yeah. everyone's biography now has this like fixed moment in time, as they say on Doctor Who. Like, the before and after the coronavirus. It is, yeah, and I think like before we had post nine, we had the pre nine eleven, post nine eleven, yeah, and now we have post COVID, pre COVID. So like a lot of people said that the reason why my generation has a darker sense of humor is because we're a post 9-11 kid. Okay. Yeah, you know, we were kind of like in third grade when they were wheeling in the TV right. <laughs> of the world falling apart. 
they they believe that we have a darker sense of humor for that very reason. So sure. I can't even imagine what kids are going to have nowadays. This next generation, what how dark they're going to be? They're going to be cracking up at guillotines, you know? Because right now we're living in a time where we need to laugh more than ever because mm-hmm. the human spirit is something that's it's dying a little bit. Something I read online that really irked me. Somebody said that uh, art isn't an essential thing, and I'm like then what the hell have you been binge watching this entire time during COVID? Because if it's yep. not essential, then cancel Netflix, cancel cable, don't run a movie anymore. Yep. Let's see how you do between four walls for yep. over a year. Let's see how you do. Yes. And that's why we're here doing this uh, the show right now. You know, it's well, speaking of, of binge watching, A, everyone yep. should binge listen to all of season one episodes of The Comical Heathen. There you go. But also, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows and favorite comedians is Bill Maher's Real Time. I've been a fan for decades at this point. So I don't know if you're if you know paying attention to my opening monologue, Jesse, but yeah. Bill Maher, I don't know if it's in his effort to, you know, he create, he's, a, he's a, the producer of a television show. Yeah. So maybe he is thinking about creating a little bit of buzz or controversy or something, but he does sometimes have odd choices for guests, considering that he usually has like actual scientists, politicians, leader captains of industries leaders of the arts but then every season he sprinkles in one or two odd sheep yeah i, I won't call them black sheep because black sheep are such beautiful animals pseudoscience would be a well, nice word well pseudoscience alt-right um conspiracy theory thinking and just yeah. a, this is a couple of weeks ago now but he was talking about the virus he said isn't there a chance it's man-made like 50 50 Two things struck me, but they go together. One is that the idea right now, at the, at the time of this recording, and therefore at the time of the recording of his show as well, which was a few weeks ago, the scientific consensus is that it's not man-made. Yeah. And so t- the suggestion that it's man-made is conspiracy theory thinking. A, that was odd. Like, does he really have to like go down the road of conspiracy theory, which is out of character for him 90% yeah. of the time. And then the other thing, Jesse, and then I want to get your response, is that he literally, and this is a quote, used the phrase 50-50 chance. And the phrase 50-50 is kind of like a red flag when yeah. someone doesn't know what they're talking about. And then by calling it 50-50, they're giving it like the wrong odds. That's like a red flag for the so-called argument from ignorance, which if the people at home want me to, I'll go into some more. But I the think 50-50. people want me to shut the fuck up. So Jesse, what do you think about this uh, issue well, the 50-50 odds thing, that's not upon the actual findings of what he's talking about. It's about whether he's right or wrong. Yeah. Uh, and he's not using any scientific variable. So obviously he's not talking 50-50 about that. So that's number one. Right. Uh, number two. It's not a scientific statistic or math. In yeah, any way. it's not. I think it's more kind of a say, hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's, it's, it's dangerous to speculate. I mean, here's the thing about Bill Maher. Here's the thing. I used to enjoy him. I don't enjoy him as much anymore. And it's not because I don't think he's a great comedian. He does stand up. He does stand up. And he gets laughs and gets laughs. He sells tickets. People sure, watch sure. him to this day. For me, I feel like he has become a part of pop culture. He's the only cop comedians are the outsiders viewing in. I think he's in now. So when he's viewing outside, it, 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 that's why it didn't line up with me. And, and to throw the conspiracy theorist out, hey, maybe he was doing it for ratings. Hell, maybe it was bad editing and we didn't get the correct context of that. Maybe it was something else. Not right. to defend it, but just to give uh, a sense of it. With this virus right now, 
the last thing we need is uncertainty with information getting right. uh, distributed. My brother is a virologist. He studies about this all day. This is what right. he studies. So when he talks about this, he can right. babble about it in a bar all he likes because this is what he does. And like, I don't want to say that you need to be an expert on talking about this. I don't want, you know, I'm appealing right. uh, to authority. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think there should be a certain professional care and handling. We, the last thing we need in this world is more people breeding stupidity. There's obviously a gray area because when we talk about free speech, you know, besides the fact that he has the right, in air quotes, or actually constitutionally, to say yeah. it. And also, we, he, everyone has the right to question leaders. But what I'm afraid of, which goes along with your, let's try not to make people stupider, uh, maxim, rule of life, is there are experts on things. And you don't want your accountant flying your airplane. And you don't want your airplane pilot giving you advice about the coronavirus. Exactly. Or giving you giving you medical advice mm. about the coronavirus, and also in case anyone is unclear, Jesse and I are not uh, medical doctors, virologists, or pretending to be experts in anything. If anything, what I'm saying and what I'm hearing Jesse say is we should be modest when oh we're, yeah we're approaching subjects that we are not experts in. Uh, I mentioned this in the monologue, but since we're in the middle of it, I do want to make sure that this gets mentioned because science is a process. Maybe evidence will be uncovered tomorrow that conclusively or convincingly shows that maybe the virus was man-made. Then there it is. The, the, then there it is. And then I would follow the evidence and listen to the experts. But today, the evidence and the experts, and PolitiFact has done a fact check on this uh, weeks ago, actually, when the conspiracy theory first started circulating. And it's simply... There are thousands and thousands. Did you say it was your brother's a virologist? Good for him. You know, if he was here, I would say thank you for your service. Uh, but like him, there's uh, thousands of people in hundreds of countries in independent labs all studying this virus. And the result of those studies is a consensus that it has all the markers of a naturally occurring virus. And that's the thing with science. Science doesn't go out to seek a result. It seeks a result, not the result, right. not the one result that it's been aiming to get. But what's the result of this? You know, I don't mean to simplify science. I, no, I'm, I was but one of, one of the but aspects, you don't go like, no. I'm going to make this result happen in this experiment. It's like, no, you make a result happen. It might be the result you want. It may be the result you didn't want. But that's the result. Because um, although science is a, a process and a, a beautiful um, human endeavor, it has mm -hmm. an element of it, which is results-oriented. Yeah. So a good science theory has the power of prediction. Mm -hmm. So when NASA sent a man to the moon, they had never done that before. So yeah. they needed the power of their science and their math and their calculations and engineering oh, yeah, yeah. to be able to predict what would happen yes. when they use this much fuel and this much, how much do they get away from the Earth's gravity. And yes. The, every phase of sending a man to the moon was based on a prediction. Money and people's lives were at stake and national <laughs> security was at stake. That so, money seemed to be a real reason. <laughs> well, it was. Uh, uh, I've tossed around the phrase a couple times in the monologue and since we started talking argument from ignorance. Mm. Uh, it's a topic I love talking to students about. When I said that like Mar saying 50-50, it could be either way was like the red flag to me. 
I mean, arguing from ignorance, because the word ignorant sounds like such a rude word, like you're calling Bill Maher ignorant. That's not really what it means. It actually means ignorant in the real sense of the word of not knowing very much. So a person who doesn't know very much about a subject is more likely to accept unlikely explanations. The, the quick example I sometimes tell students is one of my sisters, I won't say which one, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I have three, by the way. So there's a one in third chance you can guess which sister I mean. I uh, thought my parents' house was haunted. She would tell me that at night they would hear whispers. So just at that moment, what I would say to my sister is, what do you think is causing that? Do you think like the HVAC and ghosts are equal chances? I mean, don't you think the HVAC is like 99% likely and ghosts is yeah. less than 1%? Yeah, but you've put them up there as well. Could be the HVAC, could be ghosts. Either way, yeah. so people who are, and I mean, like in the normal, non-insulting sense of the word, ignorant yeah. of something, are more likely to accept fanciful explanations uh, yeah. for phenomenon. So that's why it's called the argument from ignorance, and that's why Mar saying fifty-fifty about a subject of virology that he's not an expert on <laughs> was what sort of triggered me, if you will. And, and what makes his thing an issue is that his show. I'm not sure if this is the fault of society or what he's going for, where you have that sort of influence. Hey, you know what, Jesse? It's time yeah, hey, what's up? for a public service announcement. A message from the comical heathen. It's not always easy to recognize if someone you love has become a member of a cult. Here are some of the warning signs. If you notice they use Kool-Aid powder, for at least five other things besides making Kool-Aid. If their group shows solidarity by honking at other Jeep drivers. If they insist you're the one who's brainwashed while wearing matching red baseball caps. If the mass is performed in Latin and the sex is also performed in Latin. If they try to buy illegal drugs with beads. If someone you love is demonstrating cult-like behaviors, direct them to the comical heathen. We could really use the followers. All right. Well, that was very helpful. Thank you for that, a public service announcement, dude. Hey, Jesse, I saw a funny example of this. I'm going to run this past you just real fast of that kind of like 50-50 yeah. argument from ignorance. And I am being a little cheeky here, but this really happened. I was in my local bookstore and uh, they had their discount book section where it's just like table and there's like books. And when you see that in a bookstore, especially a bigger bookstore, the table usually has books that are kind of similar. Like there might be a bunch of arts and crafts books. Or yeah. There might be, I don't know, humor, pop culture books, Star Wars, like all in like one area, right? So I'm, I, with that in mind, I was just browsing discount books and there was just like this whole row of books about astronomy and the Hubble telescope mm -hmm. and some psychology. Let's just, let's just say science books. Just one step over on the same shelf, mm -hmm. like touching each other in a way that I don't think the preacher from Footloose would approve, were a bunch of uh, hardcore religious books, like evangelical books, some mm -hmm. Dalai Lama stuff, spiritualism. Yeah. First of all, read whatever book you want. I love bookstores. I'm just referring to just like this weird sight of these two books. Cause I'm imagining like somebody standing on the border between them. Like, like, like uh, huh, Hubble telescope, evangelicals, psychology, uh, Dalai Lama. Like I'm imagining this hypothetical person that I'm kind of teasing 
like not sure, like on the fence about which <laughs> which way they're going to fall. Which book am I going to buy? You know? Yeah, it's really weird that happens sometimes, and it's like I, I've seen that happen with books. I don't know if it's just a weird book joke that they have for themselves. Like, oh, yeah, they might be. <laughs> I understand there's opinions. I'm not going to like that. I'm not going to get along with. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and I'm talking about the outliers. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the outliers. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, but at the same time, it's just like. Uh, you should keep these two apart. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like putting mine. It's like putting mine comp right next to the Jewish culture uh, aisle. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like you might want to put those two in the farthest parts of the bookstore. You know, when I was your age, Jesse, I used to work in a bookstore, and of course, you could. Oh, big surprise! The nerd works in a bookstore. Just the, one of my favorite things of working in a bookstore was the new age section. Yeah. Okay. And what I would love about it is because I would shelf books there and I'd help customers there. It's all good, you know, you know, in the bookstore hood. But when you go into the new age section, there will be like right here, astrology books. And then right here, tarot books. And then <laughs> right here, ghost books. And then yeah. right here, alien abduction books. And I just wanted to know if you shopped in that aisle, were you obligated to believe all the bullshit? <laughs> or was the person buying the vampire books looking over their shoulder going, crystals? What the fuck is that? Right? I will comment by saying that I am a cafeteria Catholic, which means I pick and choose what parts of my religion sure. I believe. So I imagine in that realm of craziness, if, if crazy was a religion, I believe there's things you would pick and choose. I mean, right. you'd be like, you know, astrology, yeah, crystals, yeah. <laughs> abduction i would imagine you'd be able to do that i mean but that's a good question because if you're able to throw logic and stuff out the window and just be easily believe things why wouldn't you believe it all like when we have politicians or something when they just yell random bullshit out on the airwaves you know you got people like yeah we believe this we believe this and it's like what, what, what evidence did you just present hey you know every episode of the comical heathen includes an interview and this interview is so exciting for me. Over the um, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. there was a live stream New Year's Eve show by another comedian who I just love, which is John Fuglesang. Okay. And John Fuglesang, I interviewed in season one of this podcast. So go look that up. But the reason I mentioned that is on that show, I saw Mike Kaplan. Oh. I was just like, oh my God, I wonder if I could get in touch with Mike. Because I do not know him at all. And I emailed him. And what a lovely gentleman. He reached back out. We talked. We set up an appointment. And earlier this year, uh, I had a chance to talk to him. And what you're about to hear is uh, my interview with Mike Kaplan. And I am super thrilled to have as a guest today on the podcast, comedian Mike Kaplan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be today's guest. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Mike, <laughs> Mike Kaplan comedy. Is it cerebral? Well, I, I appreciate I appreciate your kind words. I feel like I'm I'm not alone in using my brain to make comedy. I think that there's a lot of comedians out there. There's a, I've been learning about Buddhism recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend Gus, who is a Buddhist, shares with me that uh, there's this idea of like, where, whatever whatever point of the path that you're on, you know, mm-hmm. you can always move forward on whatever path that is, whether it's uh, becoming a Buddhist, whether it's, you know, in science, whether whatever right. it is, like you can look, there's people, you know, whether you, if you're a child, there are people who are older than you. If you're <laughs> less experienced, there are people who are more experienced than mm-hmm. you. 
And the phrase that I like a lot that he offered me is that like what one fool can do, any fool can do. You know, (laughs) if there's somebody somewhere, then it's possible to get there. Maybe not for everyone at every moment. While I appreciate, I do appreciate uh, (laughs) your kindness. I do want to say that I've been I've been using my body more also. I feel like that's the it's not Mm -hmm. even like a, a dichotomy that when you zoom into it makes it makes sense and it also kind of doesn't make sense that oh are you a are you like a a mind comedian or are you a body comedian are you like a physical comedian do you do you only move around and not do things out of your head like your head is a part of your body your brain is a part of your body yeah those are the kinds of things that i think about so to answer your question yes my comedy yes, is cerebral. It is. And your question answered its question while you were doing it because your answer was so <laughs> cerebral as well. I first noticed you, uh, maybe others did as well, when you were on Last Comic Standing. I think that might have been 2010 or around that time. It was. And, uh, you know, I mean, you got to the top 10. And at that point, you were standing out to me just as a fan favorite. Like, that's a comedy I relate to. How was that for you? Or how has your comedy life been before, during, and after that? I appreciate it. Thank you for asking that in this way. It was at the time in 2010, the biggest thing uh, that had happened for me career wise. Uh, I had been doing comedy for about eight years. I started around 2002. I had been on, I I think my first TV appearance was on Comedy Central's Live at Gotham in 2008. And then I was on The Tonight Show when Conan was hosting it in 2009 in that very slim window. (laughs) And and I taped a Comedy Central half hour around then. So it was sort of like a preponderance of depths of activity was, you know, coming into fruition. Like, you know, the the overnight success was adding up, you know, the (laughs) last comic standing and shows like it that I'm very, I'm very grateful for Mm -hmm. the fact that it was able, it's a show that enabled people like you and millions of people around the country Mm -hmm. and the world to be like, oh, here is a person. I mean, <laughs> yes. not even, not just me. Like, you know, it introduced obviously like Gary Goleman to so many people and Todd Glass and oh, Kathleen yes. Madigan and Amy Schumer and right. Doug Benson and Alonzo Bowden. And it's, yes. these are comedians that if the show didn't exist, they were, you know, headlining comedians. They were <laughs> very successful and creative. And this show, I, I'm I'm very grateful to it for all that it did for all the mm-hmm. comedians that it did, as well as, of course, uh, and I, I include myself as yes. one of the comedians. I'm, I'm a comedian. Uh, I'm not like I'm not I'm not the only comedian. Just to be, it, let let it be known. Let your listeners right. be aware. I'm not saying that I'm the only comedian, though. I I am uh, a new host of uh, the Comedy Studios podcast. The Comedy Studios, the comedy club that I began at in Boston back in the early 2000s, and they have a podcast that my friend Danny Hatch has been hosting. Okay. And recently asked me to become the co-host. And one of the things that I love about it and how funny Danny Mm -hmm. is, is here's the catchphrase of the podcast is uh, the Comedy Studio Podcast, the only podcast. (laughs) So I just love it so much. Uh, But I am, so I am not the, I mean, I might start saying I'm the only comedian. I don't know if anyone else is doing that, but I am, Mm -hmm. I think I am one among many comedians, grateful for Last Comic Standing, sharing my comedy with millions of people. Still to this day, people like yourself that are like, the first time I saw you was on that show. Let me ask one more looking back question, if I might, just to get to know you a little bit. When it's 2002 or before 2002, you know, what motivates you to jump out of the parachute, jump out of the parachute, jump out of the airplane the first time? (laughs) Like, why did you start comedy? Who... Uh, A fine question. I began as a musician. I was an aspiring singer-songwriter. I had 
played the violin since age four. My parents were music teachers. I didn't like the having to play the violin. But in high school, I started teaching myself the guitar, which I didn't have to do. And thus, I got to do it and loved doing it and started writing songs, some of which were funny. And then throughout my like senior year of college into the first year or two of grad school around the late Mm -hmm. 90s, early 2000s, I just started once I was old enough to get into bars, I started (laughs) going to bars where they had music open mics and Mm -hmm. other that that venue. And I just started, you know, pre Google, like I think, you know, maybe there was Yahoo, maybe there was Hotbot or Ask Jeeves. Like I looked online and was like, where are clubs in Boston? And I was like looking for music clubs to perform at. But one of the clubs that popped up was the comedy studio, a comedy club, which I didn't even really know that comedy clubs (laughs) were a thing. You know, I knew that Saturday Night Live was a thing. I knew that Seinfeld was a, a thing. But I didn't know that there was a local comedy scene anywhere. Okay. Uh, and so I, I didn't grow up knowing about like stand up, dreaming of being right. a stand up because I, I didn't know of it as a job, as a career path. And so I, I called up the number Rick Jenkins, the owner, answered. And mm-hmm. I was like, can I perform my funny songs in your building? You know, right. And he's like, sure. He gave me five to seven minutes, which t- for songs, I was like, oh, okay. I can only do like two really short songs. Talked in between them. People laughed at some of the things that I said, which wasn't even what I was trying to do. Right. I, but I, I loved it. And so I then went home and started like writing things specifically for people to laugh at. Right. And uh, that didn't immediately work as well as being in the moment was initially. But uh, over the course of time, I at least more figured it out. But uh, when people ask sometimes, like, when did you know that you wanted to do comedy? I would say it's like a little bit after I started doing comedy. (laughs) That is what it sounds like. Let's bring us up to the year 2020 which is when your most recent album, AKA, came out. How did it go for you? I mean, how do you feel about, how's the release? How's the reception? Thank you. Uh, so I put my first album out earlier, 2010. And since from then, I think this is now the fifth publicly available stand-up comedy record that I have released. And okay. it is, of all, I'm, I love them all. I'm very grateful to have gotten to do them all. And this is the one that I feel, I mean, I, mm-hmm. it's the most recent. It's the right. most me. It's the, you know, mm. I have been a comedian the longest. Uh, right. I potentially, <laughs> statistically know what I'm doing the most right. at the time of that recording compared to the others. I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. It sort of formed over the, over the, I'd say the last album that I put out came out in 2017, recorded okay. in 2016. And this one was recorded in 2019, came out in 2020. In that three year span, right. approximately, I started working on right. the material. I brought it to uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Fest in okay. 2018 okay. and performed it as yes. the question of like, is it a one person show? Is yes. it an hour of stand up comedy? Like it is it is kind of both of those things. Like yeah. it's me, one person doing a show. Yes. And it is more cohesive and connected than most of the other albums that I've done. There are callbacks in AKA that really keep the whole thing together in a way. Dr. Seuss boat and goat callback to me not only did I laugh harder every time I heard it but it also like functioned in that way of like you heard this earlier and it's still important now and I think there are other instances of that that's just sort of like the at my fingertip easy one to give as an example I appreciate it I have a couple things to say about this number one you know there's jokes about like hey remember this thing from your childhood and you're like yes of course that thing from my childhood a callback is like hey remember this thing from 
five minutes. It's right. like, hey, do you remember the life experience that right. we all shared communally moments ago? Yes. yes, I do remember that. Don't you love reminiscing? I do love, do you remember reminiscing? I love it. I'm doing it right now. Um, and so I love the joy for joy's sake. And then also I do love that in AKA, I, I got to discover and create and find connections between and curate mm. callbacks, not just for the sake of callbacks, but for that that had some greater meaning and import like in the piece and right. reflecting things that I actually sure. believe and care about and wanted right. to express. Coming back to joy. And also you open AKA with a fairly elaborate dick joke, which had its cerebral side to it, but also I lets the audience know that it's a comedy show and we're going to do dick jokes too. It, recently, in my studies of Buddhism, I learned, I think this is a thing like the Dalai Lama said once, that like, that there is no inherent value to like, a, let's say, if you look at one of my fingers, be like, is this finger longer or shorter? Mm -hmm. Well, then what? It depends. Is it like the, the ring finger is longer than the pinky? The ring finger is shorter than the middle finger, on right. my hand at least. And so there is no inherent length to my ring finger, it is all dependent on what it's being compared to. And I only say this to say, if there are people listening right now that are like, uh, I don't know if this comedy is for me. No, 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 don't worry. There's dick jokes. Don't worry. You'll be happy. <laughs> but, but if you're the kind of person that's like, I don't know about dick jokes, I'll be like, no, 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 don't worry. There's brain jokes too. There's brain, there's brain stuff as yeah. well. So like, is the comedy, what is the comedy for? Is it for the brain or the part of the body? It's for both. It's for which, yeah. whichever one you think that, which, which one do you think that you'd not want? It's the other one. Yeah. So it's a, it's a brain body dick joke duality. Like it's all one. Exactly. <laughs> the particle wave duality of dick jokes. Yeah, it all collapses into a flaccid wave at the end. <laughs> So speaking about that AK is about also about things that you care about. Religion does come up, and religion is and religious satire is the main stated theme of this podcast. How did you incorporate various religious topics or jokes into your material, AK for AKA or in general? I grew up, let's say Jewish, uh, culturally okay. Jewish at least. I was okay. bar mitzvahed. I talk like this. This is a tone that's familiar to me. Like, mm -hmm. but also similar to the the Buddhist thing that I just expressed. Do you know mm -hmm. this this joke, the, this Jewish joke concept of like, there's different levels of like how Jewish a person is, and for however Jewish you are, the joke is anyone who is more Jewish than you is kind of a fanatic. And anyone who is less Jewish than you is not even Jewish. Right. Like, so to most, to, I would say to the majority of Jews, like mm -hmm. to, to the most Jewish, to the most practicing Jews, yes. I might be not even Jewish. Like right. I'm not, I'm not practicing right. in many ways, but to anyone who's not Jewish, I'm the most Jewish. Right. Like we're all, I, I love imagining a person who's like, Mike, are you saying that what do you mean you're not Jewish? I'm yes. like, oh yeah, to you, I'm Jewish. Yes. That is, that was like my, my foundation uh, was I went to Sunday school and learned about uh, the Old Testament right. as some young, you know, children of secular yes. Jews do. <laughs> and I, I grew up in a society, in a country, I grew up in um, uh, the United States of America, mm -hmm. where there are other religions uh, that are practiced and discussed and are sort of part of, I, I am a, a straight white male American Jew. The joke I have is four out of five perfect. Right. And <laughs> as such, like I'm in 
I'm in the majority. I'm in the the powerful group mm-hmm. for most of these things. Yes, <laughs> like <laughs> most of those uh, historically speaking at this point. And Judaism is the only one that. Like I understood growing up, I was technically a, you know, in the minority religion wise. And so I didn't realize at the time I wasn't like actively setting out to be like an anthropologist of religion. (laughs) But when you when you grow up a different religion than the majority, like you learn you learn the things about Mm -hmm. the majority and you know the things about your own experience, which is now in in more recent years like so eye opening to realize of course like you know black people living in america have one experience they they get they have more insight into what it's like to live in america as who they are and also with the predominant culture surrounding right. them that they cannot escape and like the same thing for women the same right. thing for queer right. people the same thing for disabled people like everyone right who has a different experience than the majority, than the powerful. Uh, So I guess to zoom back into your specific question, religion has always been something that, whether or not it actively fascinated me, has Mm -hmm. been, it's a huge part of life. It's a huge part of what determines, you know, how people live and... And as such, I've been thinking about it and thus as the the, the pool of joke writing ingredients right. goes, part of my experience. And so I do think I've gone on a bit of a, I, I was like, I think I've gone on a bit of a journey in the, the very answer to this question. Yes. Although the, I would say that I used to, so I grew up culturally Jewish. I feel like in college, I was a philosophy major. Okay. And I remember having, that was when I first started thinking about the idea of, the biblical God of certain of Christianity, of Judaism, mm-hmm. of Islam, right. like the idea that like I learned that there are people who believe in the Bible literally, that right. there is, you know, there are uh, creationists. Right. And that didn't see I was like it created sort of like this straw person community yes. to argue against in a way that I strive not to do as much as I do now, because most there's, I know many compassionate, intelligent, mm. uh, believing religious practitioners. Right. Uh, and at the time I didn't know that I knew them or I didn't right. know them. Right. And so like, I used to write jokes like, but if Noah brought two of each animal onto the ark, right. then would he bring two amoebas because they reproduce asexually Bible disproven. Who am I fighting against? Right. Like who? Ooh. And so now I like I like kind of poking fun at my my past self who did that. I know there are people who are living in ways that I admire mm-hmm. uh, who do so because of their faith that, yeah. uh, you know, that there there are people who practice certain mm-hmm. religions. And also, you know, like Buddhism is a, a wonderful example of a thing that's can be called a religion. Sometimes right. it isn't called a religion. Like one of its major it's like very compatible with scientific inquiry it's like not like it doesn't say believe this stuff just because it's like hey if you're interested why not listen to this and then try it out for yourself see if it makes logical sense see if you get some internal uh, experience (laughs) that makes you want to keep moving forward with this path of inquiry and so i guess the the short answer (laughs) Mm-hmm. To your question is, well, I, I assume mean, this was it, the short answer. To, to, to conclude the short answer, <laughs> long short answer short. It's something that 
I feel like I've been open. I, I grew up with one experience, I, right. let's say, to right. be simple. And a theme in my more recent life is I'm like, hey, did you know that there's different people and different communities right. and different different experiences right. out there? Like there's so much like I was right. part of my identity growing up was good at learning. And like life is so much about learning and right. learning is so much about there being things that you don't know there being right. things that you didn't know and now so now i'm like there's so much stuff i don't know <laughs> and so i'm learning about it uh reading about it discussing it thinking about it and then all of those things that are marinating then sure. sometimes come out as comedy about religion as you're doing these explorations life journey and com comedic journey do you have a, a a craft to formulate the joke a fine question. Uh, the short answer on this one is before I had created the show, I had in my, I guess this will actually uh, tie together an answer to the last question as well that I didn't get to. <laughs> in, in 2014, I believe is the first time that I had an experience with ayahuasca, which I've okay. had numerous times since then. It was and during which you talk the, about on AKA. I do. And if you're not familiar, listeners, with ayahuasca, it is a plant medicine, a hallucinogenic medicinal experience, a ceremonial uh, some, for some religious experience that comes from plants that are uh, indigenous to South America. And so I've gone to a Peruvian guide who creates and then shares the, the physical, this tea, mm -hmm. and then guides a meditation essentially over the course of several hours. It was during one of these experiences that I had, like, I feel like the seed either planted or watered or blossomed or started <laughs> growing or I started paying attention to that would become the seed, I think, at the, at the root of the album, AKA. The, and it wasn't a joke at the time. It was just like the, the concept of always love, always forgive was sort of like this mantra right. that floated through my mind. And there was a lot more to it, but a fun thing that I thought of that wasn't even the important thing, but just the thing that my brain did was I was like, how do I remember that? Because sometimes these experiences are dreamlike and you want to, if you're not like writing things down in the moment, which you're not always able to, or even right. recommended to, but like you'll come out with some remembrances, some right. insights, some memories that like I would then like rush to my recorder afterwards and be like quick this these right. are the things these are the important things these are the right. and some of them are just like cool visuals and some of them are valuable life lessons and right. this one part of how I remembered it was I was like oh always love always forgive the initials of that are A-L-A-F a laugh right. and so I was like I wonder if there could be can I do comedy about about love and forgiveness right. and the answer is I think so and I hope so but right. that so that was something that then I didn't go home and start writing. All right, now right. forgiveness. Like, let's do what are 10 funny things about <laughs> forgiveness? Let's, what do I think is funny about love? Right. But a lot of the ideas that I started thinking of, some of the jokes came into being as just their own joke right. that could stand alone. Right. And then eventually I was like, I think that this could be something that has right. like a connective right. structure to it, at which point some jokes then I extracted from it if they didn't, right. you know, support right. the overall the overall narrative or path or theme right. or structure. And then other things might have risen like the garden that was set up. Like, you right. know, how did you get this plant to grow in your garden? Well, first make there be a space where there is a garden <laughs> and then water right. it with particular acts of intention, acts right. of, you know. Right. But now part of AKA, like uh, mm -hmm. the seed of it, which is, you know, about 
love and kindness right. and not murdering. Like what is true and what exists and who are right. we and how how right. do we live? How has the universe been? How is right. the universe? And so these sort of philosophical explorations where I'm like, you know, as a person who has learned in science class, in reading, in <laughs> listening to people who have studied these things more than I, I'm like, I'm not equipped to know how old the universe is, but the people who I know who study these things are like, it's billions of years old. <laughs> and then also, the so I'm like, I want to express, part of it is happening in the middle of a joke where I'm like, it seems like I exist. It seems like there's something here that didn't always exist in this form and won't always exist right. in this form. And so I extend it back as far mm -hmm. as, you know, as far as I know, and then beyond that and forward as far as I know and beyond that. And then the thing about some dogmatic expressions of religion that right. offer themselves up as, let's say, gently targets of comedy is purporting to have answers, right. purporting to have definitive answers in a world, in a universe where the wisest people are the people saying, I don't have all the definitive answers right. for everyone and everything. Like the, the wisest people who aren't omniscient, divinely enlightened <laughs> Buddhas, which is most most people aren't omniscient, divinely enlightened Buddhas. I think we can right. agree. I don't yes. mean to put words in your mouth. Right. But for most wise people who aren't right. <laughs> omniscient, divinely enlightened Buddhas, like like your Socrateses, your Confuciuses, who are like, I, the thing that I know is that I don't know. Right. And so Stephen Colbert, one of the, the great satirists of, of our day, right. I feel like, uh, the Colbert Report, an amazing show yes. where he plays this character. And the thing about the character that is laughable is that he is like a confident wrong person, right. that he is, he is being <laughs> wrong confidently. And that is something that I am sometimes, and that we can all be yeah. sometimes, and that religion can be sometimes, that a scientist could be sometimes, that a human, that it, it unites us all, that we can, right. we all think that we know things. That we, all, right. we, we think that there are things that we know. Right. And Sometimes we're wrong about those things. And yes. if there's a great discrepancy in how mm -hmm. loudly we're expressing it, how confidently we're yelling it, and how potentially <laughs> yes, yeah. off base of what at least somebody else's experience is, if not the quote unquote objective reality <laughs> of the universe is, therein, in that discrepancy, lies a great playground of humor. Yeah. Here's a, a very specific uh, meaningful experience I had right. watching a video of like comedy that was from like a, I think, let's say first, I, I won't name names, but for the sake of this, a, a straight white male equal opportunity insult comedian. Okay. Equal opportunity, aiming jokes at everybody except for himself. Right. And, and so this, there was a video I don't even remember the content of it, but it, let's say it had jokes at the expense of various people and groups. Right. In the comments, people expressed, I don't like this. And then there were two kinds of people defending the the okay. comedian. One group of people were saying, they're just joking. They're just right. jokes. Right. And the other group, the other half defending him was saying, he's just saying what we all believe. He's just <laughs> saying what we all know to be true. And I was like, the dichotomy of this is so fascinating to me because yes. it cannot be that they are... 
a joke is never, quote, just a joke. Like, right. even if it's a silly yes. joke that isn't about a substantial topic, the fact that you're choosing to say it instead of something else right. is at least that meaningful. You you believe it's meaningful yes. and valuable and important or practical to yes. say this thing at this time. Like Todd Glass has said, yeah, you can say anything that you want to say, but what do you want to say? Right. Like that that's an important component of saying whatever you want to <laughs> yes. say it's what is it that you want to say and whatever you are saying is at least right. some evidence of what you want to say because are you saying things that you don't want to say right why are you doing that this is all to say that uh, so i have a joke about how sometimes i tell jokes and sometimes i tell truths right. and truths i say are just jokes that people don't laugh at like sometimes right. there could be like it could it is possible that stephen colbert if we didn't have any insight into what he said not in his character right. if we only had the character then i think there is some plausible deniability yes. to not know exactly what he believes right. and because all we have is as evidence right. is I know that Sarah Silverman is a kind person from the things that I've seen her do and say in her life and her comedy. And also, if you looked at some of her old material just written down on a piece of paper and right. didn't know it was kind-hearted Sarah Silverman saying it, you might be like, I don't know if this right. is being said by uh, an actual anti-Semite, for right. example, you know, right. or or a Jew. Sure. Like, that's, that's a, a good <laughs> example. Like, the same thing could be said self-deprecatingly by, by a Jew or hatefully by a non-Jew. <laughs> like, uh, here's a, a very specific example, which some many years ago now, mm -hmm. that there was, I believe, an Iranian newspaper that put forth a contest for the best Holocaust joke, the okay. funniest Holocaust right. joke. And it didn't seem like it was, you know, like, I don't know how many, I don't think it was a Jewish run Iranian newspaper. Right. <laughs> so it was being put forth by non-Jews. Right. And so in response an Israeli newspaper said, oh yeah? Well, then if you're gonna do that contest, then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna have our own Holocaust funny joke contest. Okay. So that was a thing that I loved so much oh, that goodness. they weren't, yeah. they didn't, you know, there's like, you attack us, we attack you. They're, they're like, you attack us, we attack us. Yeah. We can make jokes about ourselves. Uh, and not yeah. that you can't, but like, we it's it makes the most sense to be making jokes about yourself right. and your experience and your group and your community. Again, not to say that you can't, but yes. again, yes. I'm like learning so much about others. Yes. Uh, and it does offer I guess the, the goal that I have is to expand the right. group, my my comfort zone and my knowledge base and like expand everything that I mean by us, right. you know, to include as many of us as possible. Absolutely. And also sometimes when like I can, I'll speak for myself again. I have told jokes in the past that I didn't realize would be, would impact people the way that they did. And I wouldn't tell all of the jokes that I've always told the exact same way right. that I always would. And I think that that's right. an advantage because that means that there is growth. Yes. Like if you, if you only want to tell the exact same jokes that you told 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, right then where if you if your perspective has not changed at all in some amount of time right then where is the growth right where is the growth mike kaplan well i've grown in a platonic sense during the course of this conversation so i want to thank you for spending some time with me and talking about satire and your comedy journey as well so thank you very much mike thank you so much for having me And that was my interview with Mike Kaplan. Man, that guy is so great. 
very funny guy. If you get a chance to see him live, go see him live and check him out. He's just yeah. And we um, mentioned it out. in the interview. Check out his current comedy album, which came out in the middle of the pandemic, by the way. That part's not what's important. What's important is that album is hilarious. So do check that out. I want to ask you, Jesse, about something that he said in the interview, just to get your own take on it. You know, Mike is pro-science and pro-critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does jokes about religion. But his approach, as he explained, is more just sort of like gentle, friendly kidding. So yeah. he is not like a bulldog, aggressive, like a Jim yeah. Jeffries or Louis Black type. <laughs> yeah. Um, so his comedy does have religious jokes peppered into it here and there. What, what, what do you think about that approach? I think it's the right way to go, honestly. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm, I'm a bit religious. I say bit because that's all I deserve. If you come at something with malice on stage, right. it, it, in my opinion, it sometimes turns people off to the, to mm-hmm. the act because it's like, hey, whoa, take, you know, take it easy. We're just going to have fun. If you poke fun of it, like, mm-hmm. I think the best way to look at it is like this. The South Park guys tore Mormons apart with Book of Mormons. But at the same time, they found a cool way to celebrate it a little bit. It was very lighthearted, but very critical at the same time, but very mm-hmm. lighthearted. And I think that's the right balance you have to have. If you get to the point where this anti-religious rant has just sprinkles of jokes in there, mm-hmm. it's not a comedy act anymore. It's more of a TED talk. Mm-hmm. But if you have, like, balls to the wall laughs all the way through with little things that make you think there you go that's that's a good that's that's a comedy act right there that's a great act makes you think be funny first is the key thing if you do that whatever thought you have will come with the joke but make sure it comes with a joke rather than thinly (laughs) veiled anti-religious rant with joke only because i gave an example i had mentioned like jim jeffries and lewis black and Bill Maher can be more aggressive in their religious satire. A, they get the laughs that you're talking about. Like, yes, they do. They they have the per square inch required number of laughs per foot of of stage time. But also, when you're a headlining a lister, which you know those guys certainly would be, you yes. come with an audience. Like your audience no, comes to to hear Louis Black scream, our Bill Maher pontificate, our Jim Jeffries Australianize. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if Jesse or Jerry are just featuring at a casino, nobody showed up to hear me bitch about, no, to tell my funny jokey jokes about Catholics. So if I can sneak one or two in, that's a victory for the day. So, and, and since we started today, talk this episode talking about Bill Maher, you know, I think that's also an appropriate thing to bring up at the end. Bill Maher does not worry two shits about anything I have to say about some little thing I noticed in one of his episodes. And also, I think Bill Maher is hilarious. I, I love Bill yeah. Maher. I, so I, I was more the teacher in me noticed this moment in which I could extrapolate something. And that was the um, argument from ignorance. So, so, Jesse, tell the class what you learned about the argument from ignorance today. I learned it uh, by... You're, you're making an argument uh, from a point about a topic you are not very familiar with. <laughs> Essentially me talking about the argument of ignorance. <laughs> I used to know a lot yeah. of philosophy. Now, com- not so much. Two comedians walk into a podcast. <laughs> nah. There it is. It's 50-50 chance neither of them know what the fuck they're talking about. Before we finish up, Jesse, uh, what do you got coming up this spring or summer? Also, you have a, a podcast too, don't you? Yes. Uh, catch me every Wednesday at 7 o'clock on the page at the grown-ups table we discuss pop culture all kinds of crazy things 
So tune in for it. It's one hour of just mindlessness. Just a great time for it. Like this is the exact opposite. So it's, <laughs> it's awesome. If you want to see me live, check out jessepimpinella.com. You can find all my show dates where I'm performing live as well as a few Zoom dates. So Good I do have you. those. Hey, I do want to say in addition to the comical heathen going to be out again next week, uh, next Sunday morning. My guest co-host next week is going to be John Hensler. Hey, that's my inter guy. interview subject is going to be Dennis Blair, hilarious headliner, um, who was known for opening for George Carlin, amongst wow, others. He was like one of these famous openers. He opened for... Um, that's an honor. That, um, that's an honor. Carlin, he opened for Joan Rivers. He opened for Rodney Dangerfield. So yeah. he has stories about that kind of stuff, as well as being on Carson. So he's also old. Nah, I'm just teasing you, Dennis. Uh, so that's our interview is with Dennis Blair. And I do want to mention while I have Jesse here that I'm going to do another live Q&A show. It is currently scheduled for April 11th at 11 a.m. It'll be via our new YouTube channel. And today's co-host, Jesse Pimpinella, is going to be my guest co-host for that live event. So please, hey. if you love Jesse half as much as I love Jesse, and I love him a whole lot, be sure Honest. to join us. As usual, let me just say, you know, um, oh, if you have anything you want me and Jesse to talk about, please send us email, Facebook, Twitter, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever you got, send it to us. Before we uh, finish up, Jesse, let me just say thank you. I want to thank uh, Mike thank Kaplan. I want to thank my good friend, Jeff Geddert, who's made our new season two theme music. Thank you, Jeff. And I want to thank all the listeners, especially if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. Good on you. Atheismo bless you, as we atheists like to say. Hey, if you've made it all the way to this episode, consider liking, sharing, following, you know, build up our numbers and uh, tune in next week. Really appreciate you. And uh, let's just say thank you, Jesse, for being my co-host today. No, I'm, uh, I'm honored. honored. I'm honored, dude. Thank you. And to, to just signing off, let me just remind everyone, it might be your dogma, but it's my karma. <laughs> I'm all about spreading the love. 